0: Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. This podcast is dedicated to the millions of family caregivers who want wellness tips and self-care solutions, who seek expert advice, and who want news about healthy aging and how to create well home design in our forever homes. I'm Sherry Snelling, a corporate gerontologist, author, and educator, a TV interviewer, host, and news commentator. I'm joining you from Southern California, where our interviews and news take us all across the country to explore the many ways to help you on your caregiving journey and to lift you up here at Caregiving Club On Air. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. I'm your host, Sherry Snelling. And in honor of April's National Humor Month, I have a really fantastic guest with us today, Kelly Conway who is the daughter of the famous, iconic comedian-actor Tim Conway that you probably remember from shows like Carol Burnett and Mikhail's Navy and a host of films. But she's going to talk about her new book about growing up with her dad and also being a caregiver for him later in life called My Dad's Funnier Than Your Dad. So stay tuned because that interview is coming right up. And then in our caregiver wellness news, we're going to talk a little bit about humor which can certainly relieve stress and can help us in our health efforts. We're going to talk a little bit about fun in Well Home Design News. And then as always, we're going to end our podcast with our Me Time Monday wellness hack. And stick with us until the end because we have a really special surprise for you. We're going to do a virtual forced bathing exercise just in time for Earth Day on April 22nd. So with that, let's take a look at Caregiver Wellness News. So kicking off our Caregiver Wellness News, as I mentioned, we are going to be talking to Kelly Conway, the daughter of Tim Conway, about her latest book. And one part of her story when she was caring for her father was the struggle that she had with her stepmom over... That care, And we know that this is really common. There's a lot of family conflict that can happen when we are caregiving for a loved one. And I think particularly as in Kelly's situation, and, and I know I grew up in a blended family where if you are a child of divorce or you have half sisters and siblings and stepmoms and stepdads and all of that, it becomes really complicated because there's obviously a lot of history and a lot of emotions and things involved. And this is why it is so important for families to really have that conversation so that everybody knows what's going on and what to expect and what the wishes are for your loved one. But, you know, I wanted to just highlight a really kind of dark side of caregiving, and that is elder abuse. Now, national Elder Abuse Month or World Elder Abuse Day, I guess it is too, is in June. And you're going to see a lot of news headlines and things around that. But there's been some famous names that have been in the headlines. For instance, Brooke Astor, who was the New York Society. I think she was a billionaire. She was a victim of elder abuse by her son. And it was actually her grandson who petitioned the courts to secure her safety and her health along with her vast fortune that was just being fettered away. And also, you, you may have heard stories about Mickey Rooney. He had a similar situation. I think it was with his son and stepdaughter and Stan Lee, who was the creator of Spider-Man and the Marvel comics. Again, he had actually a business manager who was very close to him. But as he got into his nineties, this person started defrauding him. He was actually, it was financial elder abuse. And there's different types of abuse. Financial, I think is one that leaps to mind because we see it so often, but there can also be abuse that's just basically neglect, not caring properly for somebody, particularly if you have a loved one that is being cared for at home. We often think of the horrific stories that the abuse is being perpetrated by a healthcare professional or a home health person. And actually that's, that's very, very rare. It does occur. And of course, it's going to make the news if it happens. But one of the things that we know is that there's a much higher percentage. And in fact, it is most likely that elder abuse will be done by a family member. So again, this can be a spouse even, but it can be a child, a grandchild, a sibling, or or whomever. And there's different types of abuse. You know, we think about physical abuse, but as I mentioned, there's financial abuse, there's neglect. It's a really important subject. And I feel very grateful because I actually worked with Dr. Laura Mosqueda who is the head of the National Center on Elder Abuse, which is part of the Department of Health and Human Services. And Dr. Mosqueda is really one of the national experts on the legal and medical health and financial and other aspects of elder abuse and so if you we're going to have that resource in our episode guide but if you you know are fearful of somebody that you love who might be being abused or you just want to check into what should you be aware of it's a really great resource center there's a lot of different articles and information and resources to connect with different attorneys and adult protective services and and things such as that i'm just going to check my my comments here oh i also want to mention. I had also interviewed Carrie Kasem and of course her dad was Casey Kasem, which is that he was the famous radio DJ. That was also a situation of abuse where there was the second wife and then there were the adult children of his first marriage and they were in conflict over his care at the end of his life. And Carrie, his adult daughter, actually started a foundation called Kasem Cares. And it's org. Again, we'll have a link in the episode guide page, but it's really dedicated to the adult children, particularly of divorced parents or blended families. And what are your rights? And, you know, a lot of people ask, well, what's really the difference between, for instance, guardianship and conservatorship? And, you know, Britney Spears, of course, has made Those words, I think, have been, again, in the headlines recently over her situation with her dad. And obviously, she went to court and and won her freedom back. But let me just give you a really quick kind of simplistic definition. So if it's conservatorship, it kind of falls into this category of making sure that you have a power of attorney. And that is where the person who is going to receive the care makes the decision on if I'm incapacitated in any way, And I need somebody to make decisions for me, I designate this person to make those choices. And you can have a power of attorney that designates somebody as your medical power of attorney. So they're going to make all of your healthcare and medical choices if you can't. And then you can have a separate person. It could be the same person, but you can also have a separate person identified who is the durable power of attorney for financial situations and, and has power of attorney over your finances. They can continue to pay your bills and different things like that. So that's more of where you're making the choice who is going to speak for you and who is going to be your advocate when you are not able to. Now, guardianship, of course, is different. And we think about this a lot in child cases, but it's becoming obviously much more prevalent as we have an older aging population. Now, guardianship is actually then where the court chooses. So this is where the person who's receiving the care, maybe they've fallen into a coma or they've had a horrific accident or traumatic brain injury or or something's happened and they don't have in place that durable power of attorney. It'll either default typically to the spouse, but then when we get into these contentious situations where families aren't agreeing, you see a lot of legal activity where one side or the other is going to petition for that guardianship. And guardianship, then the court will designate who that is. And that means you have complete control over that person. It's everything that's going to happen to them medically, health-wise, their finances, their estate, whatever it is. I'll talk a little bit in pop culture about a very dark comedy that was out recently. But, you know, these are really important, I think, things to think about and certainly to have those conversations with your family to make sure that those things are in place. The other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, oh, and let me also mention another great resource is the Elder Law Attorney. Now, this is an attorney. This is not just an estate attorney. This is actually an attorney who's gone about getting a certification on senior care. So they understand all the nuances of nursing homes and assisted living and the financial world of Medicare and Medicaid and long term care insurance and all those kinds of things. And one of the things I will tell you is elder law attorneys are really terrific because I've done several interviews with some of them and they have said, One of them told me, you know, Sherry, most family members come to me about three to five years too late when I could have saved them at least, you know, maybe a half million dollars or more if we had just put those plans in place a little sooner. So, again, it's really important to kind of plan ahead for all of those potential situations that happen, particularly, I think, as we get older, they can certainly help save you a lot of money and certainly save. A lot of that conflict and that grief, they can serve as that mediator, if you will, if there is some family conflict that is going on. And I just want to do a little shout out because Grace Whiting, who is a colleague of mine, she was actually the president of the National Alliance for Caregiving, and I was on their board and I've served on different committees for them. She's recently left and she is now the president of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. So congratulations to Grace, and that's a great place if you want to look for an elder law attorney. You can find them there. So let's move on now to stress. Okay. So April is National Stress Awareness Month. And I just want to do a little quick overview of stress because we talk about it so often. And, you know, stress is one of those things where it's somewhat invisible. We often don't know that we're stressed. And I do a little test when I do my speaking engagements and I ask the audience if they feel their tongue pressed against the roof of their mouth. I think I did that on one of our earlier podcast episodes as well. And the answer is if you have that, or if you can lower your shoulders just, you know, by a quarter of an inch, what that means is that your body is poised for stress. It's in that fight or flight position, which means you have chronic stress without really realizing it. So there's a great book, if you're interested in this, there's a great book called The Telomere Effect. It was written by Dr. Elizabeth Blackburn, and she actually won the Nobel Prize of Medicine for her research on telomeres. Now, telomeres are the protective endings of our chromosomes or our DNA. And what happens is when you have chronic stress, you are starting to dissolve those telomeres. They are actually starting to just disappear. And then what happens is the DNA strand, and we all know kind of what that looks like, that double helix, it starts to unravel. So what does this all mean? And and if you can visualize a shoelace, by the way, you know how the shoelace has those plastic caps on the end? Well, think of the plastic cap coming off and you know how the shoelace kind of frays and it, it goes all over the place and gets shorter and it's harder to tie and all that. That's what's happening to your DNA and your chromosome. It is literally taking years off of your life. So what Dr. Blackburn's research showed is that one year of chronic stress, and by the way, we know that most caregivers who are stressed, you know, the average caregiving journey is about four and a half years. So one year of chronic stress means that you will reduce your lifespan by about six years. Now, before you get way stressed out over this, Don't worry because you can build it back, which is the beauty of our bodies, right? The science of our bodies is so amazing. That is called telomerase. And without going into too much science, when you can manage your stress and when you can calm yourself down and get into what we call homeostasis, which is that balance. So stress is good because it actually... It kind of galvanizes us to act quickly, to respond to threats. It's a survival mechanism. But when you don't come back into that calming posture, which is more typical, you're always at a heightened alert. This is where the stress is really bad. So if you can manage your stress and get a little calm back into your life, and you'll, you'll, you'll create that enzyme called telomerase, and you'll build those telomeres and that DNA back. So that's the good news on stress. It's National Humor Month. As we said, in April, there's a little bit of an ur- urban myth. It goes like this. Children laugh 300 times a day and adults only laugh about 15 times a day. Now, there have been some scientific studies and the the adult laughing about 15 times a day is pretty close to what the studies are showing. The 300 times a day with kids I can believe it. I've seen kids who are pretty giggly, but there hasn't been any real science that shows its exact number of 300. But let's just say kids definitely have a little bit more fun than adults in general. But what we know is that laughter is contagious and it's also really good for our health. And in fact, there's something called humor therapy or laugh therapy. Now it's been used a lot in the cancer community and it's it's been used to reduce pain and to really get our, ourselves focused on something that's a little bit more positive, that we have different breathing when we're laughing and when we're giggling. And it also aids then in our healing. And so you may have heard of Norman Cousins. He was actually a journalist And he had a really painful disease called collagen disease, which is somewhat similar to arthritis, very, very painful. And he's very famous for a book that he wrote about his experience called The Anatomy of an Illness as Perceived by a Patient. And it was written in 1979. By the way, just a little trivia for you. The book was actually turned into a movie starring Ed Asner as Norman Cousins. And a little side fact I was really privileged and, and grateful I interviewed Ed Asner. Actually, it was during COVID and it was the year he died. It was just a few months before he died. It was really fun. Interview and I'll try to get a clip of that up on the website. You guys can see it. But anyway, what he found is if he spent and literally he spent hours doing this. So I don't know if you have the time for this, but if you want to alleviate any kind of pain and stress that you're feeling, he would watch hours of Marx Brothers movies and Candid Camera and other things that made him laugh. And he talked. He also took very high doses of vitamin C, and what he found is it definitely alleviated his pain even to the point where he didn't feel the pain anymore and he was able to get a a restful night's sleep. And then that actually helped him through his disease and he was able to go into remission with it. So just a little bit of something to think about when we talk about humor being healing. And I wanted to give you a couple of resources. So one is called laughter on call. And it's really wonderful. It was created by a woman, Danny Klein. And I met Danny when we were on the doctors together. And it was a segment about Alzheimer's. And she had created Laughter on Call specifically for dementia patients because her mom had dementia. And what she does is she gathers together comedians who have an off day and aren't working or whatever, and they volunteer their time to go into assisted living and memory care, or even to do things online as they did throughout the pandemic and get people to laugh. And even with dementia patients, which again, the communication is a little bit more challenging, but It's amazing what these professional comedians are able to do. And they say they get as much out of it, of course, as as the person that they're helping to find a little humor in the day. So check that out. If you've got a loved one and you want to kind of engage them in something fun, you can join one of these online sessions that Danny has or look for her program to be offered in different memory care. And then there's also Hilarity for Charity. So this is the nonprofit foundation that was founded by Seth Rogen and his wife, Lauren Miller Rogen. And it's all about raising awareness among the younger generation of millennials and Gen Z around Alzheimer's because Lauren Miller Rogen has Alzheimer's in her family and both she and Seth really see this as the disease of their generation. They know that there's no cure yet and there is going to be a higher prevalence of more and more older people and more people being diagnosed now because we know so much more about the disease. So they're really trying to use humor as a way to engage younger people in understanding a little bit more about what Alzheimer's and dementia is. And they do a lot of really great charity events. So they get a lot of comedians involved and you can join some of their events that they do or some of the events that they do on campus. So that's just a couple of little resources on the humor side. Now let's turn to our pop culture. I mentioned earlier about the elder abuse. So there's a really dark comedy. I I don't I didn't love it, but a lot of people I know kind of thought it was very funny. I guess I'm too close to this. So it's, it wasn't really funny to me, but it was on Netflix and it was called I Care a Lot. And it starred Rosamund Pike it's a very dark satirical comedy about a con artist who is actually defrauding older seniors who don't seem to have family who's close or paying any attention. And what she does is she goes in and she gets the guardianship of these people through the courts and then of course sells their homes sells that she moves them into assisted living sells their home sells their furniture empties their bank accounts and then goes on to the next one anyway doesn't sound very funny right it's got some sides to it. And believe me, the only funny part that I saw in the movie is she gets her just desserts in the end. So I'm sorry if I ruined that or a spoiler alert for those of you. Anyway, if you're interested in kind of checking that out, because I've had a couple of friends who watched it and they said, oh, you know, that was so that's never going to happen. I said, oh, it happens. Believe me, it does happen. This is why we have so much attention now on things like elder abuse. So if you want to check that out, you can. Now, one that's a little bit lighter and and more comedic is is a movie called Hanging Up, but a little bit older movie. It stars Diane Keaton, Meg Ryan, and Lisa Kudrow. And it was actually written by uh, Nora Ephron and her sister Delia Ephron. It's about family conflict. It's about the sisters, the three sisters who are caring for their older dad, who's played by Walter Matthau. And it shows kind of the conflicts that they come into that really go back to childhood. And that's one of the things that we see when we do have family conflict is that. Uh, particularly the adult children, they revert back to their childhood roles. So anyway, it's it's kind of fun, it's kind of cute. If you want to take a look at that, and maybe it'll jumpstart some conversations within your family. It's 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 one that you can watch. And then I want to give you some of my favorite ways to laugh because when I'm having a really stressful bad day, one of my favorite things now is to you know take my my iPad and look up fun. And and I go back to the older comedians and the, some of the older shows, but I look up all these YouTube clips. So I just wanted to give you a list of mine. And if you've got some great ones, please share it with us. You can email us at podcast at caregivingclub.com. But first of all, there's a great video called the fun theory by Volkswagen. I love this video. This isn't so much fun. It's really more about healthful habits and how to reduce stress and it's called piano stairs. And what they did is they found that people coming out of the subway were taking the escalator even though, and there was also a stairwell right next to it, but they would take the escalator. So what they did is overnight, they turned the stairs into piano keys and they wired them for sound that sounded like a piano. They painted them black and white, just like piano keys. And then the next day when people came out of the subway, they were amazed. They're looking at this and going, well, what's that? And they go over and they kind of step on the step and they hear the sound and then they kind of bounce around and play and dance or whatever. Anyway, what they found is that I think it was up to 67% of people took the stairs instead of the escalator for the next few weeks. So this is a way that we can actually infuse fun into healthy behavior. And this is this is going to be a big part of the book that I'm writing, Me Time Monday, the weekly wellness edit for a wonderful life. I, I really think that fun is a key ingredient in helping us to be more healthy. So that's a really great inspirational video to watch. And then some of my fun videos are, first of all, some great movies, Charlie Chaplin, pretty much anything Charlie Chaplin did. He was famous for saying a day without laughter is a day that is wasted. But my favorites are City Lights. And of course, the scene in The Gold Rush when he sticks his forks into the rolls and he kind of makes them dance, which I think is still so hilarious. So anyway, you can check that out. Also, anything with Johnny Carson, but if you look up some of the funniest clips on Johnny Carson my favorites are the one where Ed McMahon is actually drunk on the air and Johnny is just having such fun with him but Ed Ed is really losing it he must have had more than the three martini lunch that I know those guys used to take in the afternoon so check that clip out also there's one where a snake That was brought on by, uh, I think it was Joan Embry used to be on the show all the time. The snake is kind of winding its way around Johnny's leg and, and the look on his face. I mean, it'll just make you laugh. And then one of the classics is he had, I think it was Ed Ames who was on and he was teaching Johnny how to throw a tomahawk and they had an outline of a person on the wall and he throws the tomahawk and it lands right in the person's crotch. So on the wall, not real. So anyway, some of those are really hilarious. And then One of my big go-tos is Eddie Murphy, pretty much anything he did on Saturday Night Live. But my absolute favorite, and I'm laughing even thinking about this, is his skit on James Brown's Celebrity Hot Tub Party. Okay, if you have not seen this, I I dare you not to laugh. It's really great. And of course, Gilda Radner, who was an earlier member on Saturday Night Live, anything she did, particularly her Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana skits on the news update are so funny. And I love the smoking health news update that she did as Roseanne, which is really, really great. And then, of course, let's not forget Tim Conway, because we're about to talk to his daughter, Kelly. But Tim Conway was just brilliant, a brilliant genius when it comes to comedy. He was on Carol Burnett. And I remember watching him and I watched Mikhail's Navy, too. And I just want to do a shout out, by the way, on Mikhail's Navy, because my best friend, since college is Molly Ballantyne. She is the daughter of Carl Ballantyne, who was on Mikhail's Navy with Tim Conway. So a shout out to Molly and to her sister, Sarah, and their wonderful dad, Carl Ballantyne. He was also very brilliant. But anyway, Tim Conway made up these skits, and he is so, so clever and so funny. I think my favorite one is the dentist office and it's he and Harvey Corman. and Harvey Corman cannot even keep it together. I mean, he is laughing throughout the whole skit because Tim Conway is so brilliant. And then my stepdad, my late stepdad's favorite of Tim Conway was a character he did called Dorf. Now Dorf was this little diminutive man and what he did is Tim Conway would stand in this like hole and they would have the floor come up to like almost his belly button and then they would just put the shoes in front of him And then he would, he, it was so funny. And he would play, he would do these videos on how to, and he did one on golfing. And of course my stepdad was a, was a wonderful golfer and loved golf, but Dorf explaining golf would always make my stepdad crack up. So, you know, if you haven't seen anything on Tim Conway, check him out. There are some clips on YouTube and maybe you can even find some of those old Carol Burnett shows or whatever. And with that, we're going to go into our interview with Kelly Conway. So, our special guest today is Kelly Conway. And as I've been mentioning, she is the daughter of Tim Conway. And she has written a new book called My Dad is Funnier Than Your Dad. And it is a really wonderful memoir. And I really, I really appreciated reading this because Kelly and I are about the same age. And obviously, we both grew up in Southern California. And so some of the stories that she tells just about childhood, you know, just fun childhood stories, just really reminded me of my own growing up and childhood. Now, I will say that she, however, had... Some really interesting memories to share because, you know, as I didn't do, but she did when her dad was filming over at CBS. She was talking about how they would go backstage when the filming was going on one soundstage. They'd kind of wander over to the Sonny and Cher show and some other things that were going on, which sounded pretty hilarious. But uh, it just sounded like as brilliant as Tim Conway was as an actor and comedian, and he wrote so many of his skits and he also directed, I know, and and I think produced, he was a really great dad. And so some of those memories are just really terrific. And then Kelly's going to speak a little bit also about some of the struggles that she had. You know, she was the adult daughter caregiving for her dad because she was the oldest child of six She was actually the only daughter as well. And so she talks a little bit about those struggles. Her parents had divorced years earlier and her dad had remarried. And unfortunately, she and her stepmom were not always on the same page. Again, it's a really tough situation to go through. And Kelly lost her dad, I think it was about three years ago now. And I just wanted to give a thanks to her. I'm so grateful that she did this interview. I reached out and she was she was really up for it. She was on her way though to work. She works in the film industry. She's a costume designer and stylist and she was on her way to work because she had a really heavy schedule but she made a few minutes to talk to me and I'm really grateful for that. And it did get emotional. I just want to thank her for sharing everything that she had to share with us. So One of the things I think you're going to get out of this wonderful book is the beautiful, wonderful bond between dads and their daughters. And so
1: with that, here's my interview with Kelly Conway. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm in my car, so it's kind of silly. And I'm dressed for snow, even though it's now it's warm out. (laughs) Well, you do look great. You've got that
0: California cool going on, so... (laughs) (laughs) anyway so again thanks so much for making time and I just thoroughly enjoyed reading your book my dad's funnier than your dad and I wanted to just kind of kick it off with you lost your dad about three years ago but as I was reading Mm -hmm. the book what really jumps out I think is that your dad was this huge icon you know, in comedy, TV, and film, and yet you had a relatively normal upbringing, which I think is rare, right, for Hollywood kids, and you had a very special relationship with your dad, so just tell us a little bit about kind of growing up, you know, as Tim Conway's daughter. Well,
1: my mom and dad were both from the Midwest. My dad's from outside of Cleveland, from Chagrin Falls, and my mom's from Dearborn, Michigan, and I think they just raised us like we were in the Midwest, and which is great. I didn't, at the time I didn't like it because I used to say to my parents, like all the cool kids go to school in Beverly Hills and over the hill, not in the stupid Valley and not, you know, we, we practically live in the country in the seventies. The Valley was kind of like being, you know, in the country. It was, it's a city now, but I wanted to live over the hill with all the cool kids. And my dad would just look at me and go, are you you kidding me? Why don't you go swim in your giant swimming pool or go play tennis on your tennis court? Or like he kind of had to kind of set it straight where I knew I was so lucky. But you don't realize how lucky you are until now, until you really get a taste of life and how hard it is sometimes and how great you had it in a in an awesome home with parents that paid attention, you know?
0: Absolutely. Well, and I, I think back because you and I are around, we grew up in the same era. And yeah. I, I think about our childhoods were pretty fun, pretty happy. And I think about what kids go through today with social media and everything else. And so I think oh I'm gosh. so grateful. I grew up I in know. the 70s, right? Me
1: too. And You know what we think, my brother Tim and I talk about this because I have, he has a daughter who's 16, who I love, my niece, is that their day never ends. The pressure of kids at school and classwork and homework and style and hair and like clothes, it it just, it never ends. And we, at least when we got home from school, we were done. You go play in the yard or go jump in the pool or play in a sprinkler and it finished, but they never get a break now. It's yeah, a 24 don't. hours. They don't. That
0: is so true. I think that one of the things that really jumped out when I was reading this, and first of all, I really resonated with your story. I have to tell you that as I was reading the last chapters, it almost became like a thriller for me. Like I kept like I was no. up all night going, oh, I w- you're oh. like the heroine. And I'm like, oh, this has to work out. You know, this has got to work out. But tell us a little bit about, obviously, when your dad, first of all, there there was confusion over, some people said, well, maybe he has dementia or Alzheimer's, but actually he had something called, is it
1: NPH? It's called, yeah, normal pressure hydrocephalus.
0: Okay. and.
1: I didn't know, I mean, who knew about it before? They still don't know very much about it. Unfortunately, it's a, it's a disease that just wreaks havoc on everything. It's, it's too much fluid in your brain and we all have it swirling around in there, but there's a natural valve that all of us have. And his wasn't working that kind of pushes the fluid through your spinal cord and then your brain. And from what I understand, when the fluid, I mean, when the fluid gets kind of stuck in there, it just, it almost creates moving, not tumors, but moving parts that affect different things in different places every month or for every couple of weeks or every month. So it's, it's not a fun one to have. I mean, nobody can choose it, but uh, none of them are fun. It, and it, like he said, the doctors have said it wasn't dementia, but it can bring on dementia, like things that happen to you throughout this disease. And and they tried to cure it by putting a an artificial shunt in to kind of drain the fluid, and that worked for a little bit. But you know, in the end, he was sick, and I didn't want to go into that part of it necessarily. But I'm so proud of what I did for him even more proud than anything I've done in the book, than my career, than anything is that I fought my tail off for him every day. And it was for me and for him because I wanted to see him obviously, because I wasn't, my dad and I were so close and it just wasn't an option. I talked to him every day. And if I didn't talk to him every day, a day or two went by, then he'd be going, "Where are you? I'm gonna go start calling the police or the hospitals." Like we just, he knew where I was all the time, and I knew where he where he was. That part was hard. Well, and I think,
0: and and again, I really resonated because I'm in a similar or was in a similar position, being the oldest daughter, and you were very close, and you lived close, and so that kind of caregiving responsibility fell on your shoulders, but you also came from a blended family like I do. And sometimes that can be really tough, particularly when people aren't on the same page. So do you want to talk a little bit about some of the challenges? I mean, I think it's really important for people because so many of us now do come from these kind of blended families and Mm -hmm. we don't really talk about things until the crisis hits and then the emotions are really high. So Tell us a little bit about
1: kind of what your challenges were caring for your dad. Well, the point I was trying to make in the book was it wasn't, I do have blended family. My dad was married to Charlene for 30 years and we got along great for 30 years. It was, it was great until my dad got sick for the last three years. I understand that when you, when you know you're losing someone, it's not like my dad didn't get hit by a car and he was gone. You know, it was a slow process and it was sad. The best gift in the world couldn't take you away from that. You have to go through it and suffer through it with him. And I didn't have a magic wand to make him better. I don't have any medical history, background, anything. But my goal was to allow him to suffer less. But when it gets to that point where you've been so independent your whole life, and then you have to rely on people to help you, the dignity comes into play where you just want privacy for them. And especially because my dad, because people recognized my dad in these facilities he was in. And that was like, that was horrifying. I could cry right now thinking about it. Well, puts such an
0: added layer of stress. You know, a lot of people talk about, well, you know, celebrities have all this money to handle healthcare and all this, but I don't think a lot of people realize the kind of spotlight that you're under when you come from a family who has somebody iconic and famous like your dad, because Mm -hmm. there's a
1: whole different layer of protecting him and his privacy. It is. And my dad was so private. I mean, a lot of celebrities are, of course, they want to be at home and, you know, their private uh, lives. But my dad was the type of man who, you know, on Christmas morning when People are opening presents and past people, you know, their hair is all over the place and two people didn't brush their teeth and someone has a bathrobe on or a t-shirt or clothes from three days ago. My dad was never like that. On Christmas morning, he had his Gucci loafers on and his red socks and his cute jeans and his cashmere sweater. And he was dressed and ready to go for anything. So in that way that you want them to feel like they did and to feel like even if I came over or his wife were in the room then you just you want him to be comfortable with having visitors maybe he didn't want visitors and you know he didn't want people taking pictures with him for sure in these facilities because uh, he not wasn't at his best and that's well, just a fact there was a point in the book
0: where you wrote about how you, he was in assisted living and you came in and redecorated his room for him and you kind of yeah. made it his home office, right? Cause he had like plaid on the walls and all this great stuff. And you kind of yeah. really put that all together. And, and I want to applaud you because that's one of the things we always mm. talk about is to make the environment as much home-like as possible. If your loved one does have to be. Yeah
1: in a facility yes. like this. So th- I applaud you for what you did. you just want him to be in something familiar. And I still, to this day, don't understand why he wasn't at home because that's a luxury that not everybody can afford, but it doesn't matter because I know people whose parents can't afford it. And, but they still have them at home and they figure it out. And my dad could afford it. And so we could have figured it out maybe a little more easily, but it doesn't take much. And for what, it wasn't a money issue. And I still don't know why Charlene, his wife didn't want it. It was, I mean, the answer doesn't matter anymore, but it still haunts me because, or it still makes me mad. I mean, it makes me so angry that just to suffer less would have been 75% of it would have been get out of this awful facility. And some of them were awful. There are a lot of nice ones out there, he wasn't in them. And I don't know why. She wanted one close to the house, which I understand. But if there's a better one 10 miles farther, then take it. By redecorating his room and just putting curtains up and making it a little warmer than this sterile, pale green, yellow walls with not a familiar thing in sight, it just made me so sad going in there. And he couldn't communicate that to us. So I just did it. I just made it like a mini office. And then got in trouble for that. I got in trouble from the lawyers. I got in trouble from her. I got kicked out of the facility. I got reprimanded. It was, it was awful. And then when I got there the next day or two, everything was down off the walls and smashed into a closet. And then I said, okay, you know what, if we can't have that, then I'm going to put some pictures on this bulletin board that he has near his bed. At least he can just glance at some pictures and those were taken down. So I couldn't win. I, I, I just couldn't.
0: As people read your story, I think, you know, again, there was a struggle, there were challenges with your stepmom, and you even had to go through the legal route. And even when you did that, it still wasn't enough because then the things that were in those documents that said you had legal rights to visitation and other issues, they weren't granting that to you. So I think a lot of people are shocked when they hear, oh my gosh. I mean, for me, my heart broke Knowing that she didn't call you when your dad passed, that you had to hear it from a friend who had seen it on the news.
1: Luckily, I heard it from my best friend who was it was in New York and she called and said, I'm so because she I talked to her every day and she knew that I mean, like I said, it's not like my dad died suddenly in an accident. He was he was fading and it wasn't going well. And you know, every time I left, I knew maybe it could be the last time. So I made that the last time every time. I mean, every time I left, but it's still, it's still a shock and you don't want to hear it. I don't want to read it off Fox news. When I opened my phone, that was horrible. It's so cold and ugly and it didn't have to be like that.
0: What would you tell other family caregivers out there? If you look back over the things that you, kind of either struggled with or had to do, is there any advice that you would give to other daughters, other adult daughters who have a similar situation, maybe where, you know, there's a
1: step-parent yeah. and all that? Well, the legal system is rough and I think it works in some situations. It didn't work in mine. Like you said, I I had the legal documents. I made copies of it. I had them in my car. This is what I get to see his medication list. And I get to talk to the doctor, but they kicked me out. They wouldn't let me. So it didn't work for me and my brothers, my family. Unfortunately, this happens more often than I knew about, than anybody knows about. I know a law firm that has a new wing of their office, a new department to handle only cases like this because it's gotten so big, the client list has gotten so big just to handle the volume of things like this that happen to other families is massive. Our parents, whether you're close or not to them, they took great care of us when we were all growing up, all the kids. Every parent did, you know, and they deserve to be treated back just as well. And if a step parent comes in and a stepsister, I have a former stepsister. That had a different idea, like you said, on his healthcare, it's not up to them. It's up to doctors and it's up to caregivers and nurses. I didn't even know. I mean, I know what, of course, I know what hospice is. I kind of basically know the process and the procedure, but every person's different and everybody's different. Every body is different. I don't know what my dad's, I wasn't told what was going to happen and how long you in hospice for? And nobody really knows that, but you can get, you can have an idea. And I wasn't allowed to know that. So it was rough. I, like I said, I, it was rough, but not as rough as it was for my dad. And I think daughters, you asked about if a daughter has this situation, I think I'll speak for my family. I have five younger brothers and in my family, the boys run for the Hills. (laughs) Like (laughs) Great. Dad had a sandwich today. He's eating good. I got to go. I got to run. Like their boys are just like, I can't, I think girls run into that flaming building more than boys. And it's just a natural, you know, girls do that. And especially if you're close, depends, you know, your mom or your dad. I was very close with my mom too. And I did the same thing for her. She had cancer, but it was a different situation. You know, just keep fighting. And if you have to go the lawyer route, they told me in the beginning, because his wife had the power of attorney, that is the strongest document. I mean, I think it's stronger than our constitution in America. Like it is, it is one heavy piece of paper that controls everything. And I didn't want, like I said, I didn't want to, I had nothing to make him better. I just wanted him to be with his own blanket in his own bed with pictures on the wall and a, and and everything there. So people can come visit him and not just somebody that happened to be walking by a facility hallway. You just want the best for them and you want them just to have. I just, at the very least, I wanted the cashmere blanket that he loved that was at home instead of a blanket from Amazon that was made out of plastic. You know, I yeah. just, and, and it's not that hard.
0: Yeah, it isn't. Kelly, you also talked a little bit about, again, we talked about you were at the forefront. You were the warrior leading the charge on the caregiving for your dad in terms of your siblings. I was so happy to read because I love your brother, Tim's radio show. And I was happy to read that oh, he finally came around. Yeah. That he, he didn't, like you said, he wasn't really totally tuned in maybe to the day-to-day struggles. And yeah. then there was that point where kind of had that aha moment, but tell me about what helped you, like you kind of had a little bit of a circle where you had Karen, Mm -hmm. you know, in your family and you had, you know, your brothers and particularly Tim, but what really helped you kind of soldier on and keep up your, your strength and your stamina through all of this? Well, Karen,
1: oh my gosh, Karen was like, the best friend I could have. And she's she's like a sister. She was like a sister before because she's Charlene's stepdaughter from a previous marriage. So she was like family. She was amazing. I have amazing friends. I have my mom's strength to just keep going no matter what. I have the memories in my head of my dad just helping everybody. Supporting everybody, whether it's by having them over at his house or a phone call or or financially, you know, helping a friend or or our families or whatever it is. He was the kindest, nicest man. He didn't deserve the end like it was. And when I agreed to do the book, I wasn't going to. When I agreed to do it, I said I didn't want to talk too much about him being sick because i i didn't want to have a cloud over the memories people had of him because they were so happy and some people told me that was the only quiet hour in their house all, all week was from 10 to 11 on saturday oh, night yeah. carol Burnett. Went, you know their <laughs> parents weren't fighting and the baby wasn't crying and you know the bill payers weren't knocking on the door right um, i mean the bill collectors he made so many people so happy but and it wasn't because of his celebrity. It was because of he was my dad and he was my pal. And he just, he just keep going. I don't know. Yeah. That's my mom and my dad in me. And I use it. Thank God I have it. Yeah. Because in my work, you got to keep like, (laughs) it takes some stamina to do it. I'm so sorry. I'm going to stop. No, that's okay. Particularly the last couple of years, I think with what we've all you
0: know, I mean, oh whether you, you're caregiving or not, we've all been through. So, well, I can share with you just a, a quick little personal story. So I I took care of my yeah. stepdad who who raised me. So my Aww. my dad and I didn't really see each other for a lot of my childhood until the end with him. And then we became very close. But I took yeah. care, I helped take care of my stepdad. And one of his favorite skits of all time was Dorf, the golfer Aww. that your dad did. And I mean, the <laughs> laughter and I just... That was so special to me because he was in pain. He had leukemia, but being able to laugh and being able to tap into. The, and so I just want you to know the gift that your dad gave Aww. to all of us out there. And, of, and my favorite skits are the ones with Harvey Corman, where Harvey Corman cannot keep it together because your dad was so hilarious and just yeah. had Harvey Corman, like,
1: you know, laughing, even though he's supposed exactly. to
0: be. Exactly. pants.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how did you feel about the book? Like, did that take anything away from how the memories you had of my dad? I've only asked a few people this. I feel like it really gave me insight
0: as to who your dad was. And he was funny and he was iconic. As I said, I watched Carol Burnett's show, you know, as a kid. But what I learned is how, what a good person your dad was. And I didn't know that, you know, until I read your book. And I thought, this is a rare human being because we know there's really talented individuals in Hollywood, but they aren't mm-hmm. always great people <laughs> or good dads. <laughs> you know, yeah, they might be good at what they do, but I got this sense of your dad just being this really wonderful person, and you guys had such a special relationship, and that—that that yeah. I didn't know before I read the book, and that was special. But like I said, I—I I really was connecting with you because I could feel how like hopeless, almost you feel in that you don't have certain rights and you can't have a say. And yet, you know what your loved one wants and you aren't able to do it. That to me was like, oh, I was agonized when I was reading those chapters. Yeah,
1: It's too bad because it could, it didn't have to be like that. And Charlene and I, like you read in the book, I loved her. We, we took trips without my dad. We went to dinner sometimes without my dad. When my dad had to go out of town, he didn't like Chinese food very much. And so she's like, Dad has to go to San Diego over the weekend. Let's go get Chinese food. Like we I I loved her and I thought once you realize and it took a while for me, maybe I'm immature, but once you realized that your parents aren't just these superheroes that they are not just your parents and there for you and helping everybody and, and getting rides from and support, that when you realize that they're people and they have to have a grown up relationships too, that, um, you know, they're not just parents that I thought, Oh my gosh, okay. So dad's going to get married, but she's really cool because it, it, I thought, because I heard nightmare stories from kids, you know, in the seventies, it wasn't, it was, it was not as common as it is now divorce. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit of a stigma thing where you didn't want really people to know, but I had some friends that were divorced and I had one, friend that, never saw her dad after the divorce again, or that was another a little stepmom bit of my story. Yeah, 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 and or a stepmom or a stepdad that was rotten, like textbook rotten to the kids. Yeah, and I thought I'm so lucky. Charlene's awesome, and we already know her, and Jackie's like a cousin or a sister anyway. And so this is I'm so lucky to have her, and yeah. I was, and I, like I said, I we were close even without my dad being there. So I was, I think I was going to start saying earlier that I understand when someone's leaving, you go into that panic mode. Like, can you imagine like knowing that you have two months or five months or two weeks or whatever it is, like that panic of somebody leaving and passing away? I get it. I wouldn't have gone the route that she did it didn't have to be like that. We didn't, if she didn't want to be best pals, if she thought I was a liar or creating problems, then fine, but don't keep me away from him. And because that's not what he would want.
0: I think that comes through in the book too, that you really, your focus was on him. And Mm -hmm. very often, I think, you know, sometimes with caregivers, the focus is more on them. You want to have balance, you know, and that was going to be my other question is that how did you find your balance or your me time during this kind of stressful time? I think I know the answer, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask you how, what is your favorite me time
1: activity that skiing. you do for you? Yeah, skiing. skiing. <laughs> is that what you were going to guess? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I spent a lot of time in the mountains and skiing is just, it's outside and it's fun and, and I can do it well. And so it's just something that I know I probably ski better than I walk. It's just it just you can be by yourself or you can be with a group of people. And I just I would go ski for a couple of days. And my dad knew that too. Like he's like, where have you been?
0: Well, and we're lucky. We both live in California. I know I know you live in Malibu area. Yeah. And so we we live at the where do I, you live? Live in, I live in Newport Beach. So we live at oh, the great. beach. But we're only a couple hours or maybe, you know, if you go to Mammoth, I know that's one of your favorite places, maybe just a handful yeah. of hours away from our skiing. So we kind of lucky that way. Well, totally. Kelly, I don't know if there's anything else that you want to share in terms of what you would, the advice that you'd give to family caregivers out there.
1: I would say to focus on that part is, and your article is to just n- never give up. There are, there are people you can talk to, Carrie Kasem's foundation, Kaysom Cares, is an extraordinary group of people that know this part of the sometimes end of life with parents. Her foundation focuses on really just step parents, adult children who have parents that are ill and step parents, that's what they counsel. That's what they raise money for. That's what they, she goes all over the country to DC. She, to try to get bills, and laws passed so people don't have to go through what Carrie went through and what I went through because it's rotten and like I said, it's it was always more rotten for my dad because I'm not complaining at all. I told you it's the most I'm most proud of that than anything I've ever done. And whether it's just struggling through those few weeks of like I, I was losing my mind that I, you know, I couldn't even I like I'm wearing I'm gonna wear the same thing for a month because I, I can't even focus to go into the closet. Just, you just charge, charge it, get dressed. And you're a stylist. And I'm a, and a wardrobe stylist. <laughs> <laughs> so you get through and you march on and you, to know that you are even making a little bit of a difference for one of your parents or an aunt or uncle or whoever it is, or a sister, whoever, you know, it doesn't have to be a parent. Well, Kelly, thanks so much. It's been wonderful talking to you. And how so nice to meet you. And I'm so sorry that, first of all, there's crying.
0: Oh, um, nice. and you
1: look so nice and you're so put together and you're oh. everything looks beautiful around you and your makeup and your hair and thank you. Well I, I take I take that to heart because I know again you're a stylist, so you know
0: how to get all these things kind of put together. Not today. I'm
1: charging through a massive job that I'm on that's taken over my life, which it's been a fun one.
0: Thanks again and have a great thank rest you of your stuff. So it was very nice I'll talk to you
1: meet soon. you. Okay. So thanks. happy to meet you. All Bye. right, bye-bye.
0: So for our well home design news, you know, we did a lot on well home design in our last episode, and I just wanted to focus on how do you infuse a little bit of fun into your well home design and I think there's several ways that you can do it first of all, of course with photos. Whether you have something sitting on your desk or maybe something in your bedroom, wherever you're going to be quite frequently, and you've got a fun photo that just makes you smile or just makes you laugh. Those are always little great visual reminders throughout the day. No matter how tough things are going, you kind of take a look at that and you know it'll make you laugh. I, I have a funny little picture of my dog. And every time I look at her, I just have to smile no matter what's going on. The other thing is photo albums, of course, are are great, and particularly for our loved ones. Almost making a photo album that's based all out of funny photos is terrific. Certainly, those memories are really wonderful, I think, to go through with your loved one, but particularly some of the funnier photos. I'm thinking of one that I really cherish, and it's of my grandpa, My mom and I, and I think we're sitting on a couch and I think we have some funny hats on or something like that. Anyway, so, you know, having those around are also really terrific. Playing fun games, that always helps. So making sure that you can always pull out, you know, a Monopoly or a Scrabble or something else that makes is kind of fun, Pictionary, whatever it is kind of get a little energetic there and and maybe even play that game with family or with friends. One of the things that I find is really great is, you know, we talk about visualization a lot in mindfulness and meditation. And again, those are those visual reminders, like your photos, but something that I have that it's, it's kind of like my little secret. So in my kitchen, I have on my side of my refrigerator that nobody ever sees, but me, because I I'm over there mixing or whatever, but you can't really see it from any other room are these magnets and they're by Ann Taintor, And I'll have a link to her on our episode guide page, but she's hilarious. And these magnets are all based off of fifties advertising. So it's women from the fifties and, you know, everybody's happy and just beautifully dressed and all of that. And then the comments that she puts are today's comments about how, particularly I think for women, you know, we're juggling so many balls. And particularly if you're a caregiver, now you've got that extra ball that you've got thrown into your juggling act. And I just wanted to read to you, you won't be able to obviously see the magnets, but I'm just going to read to you some of the phrases that I have on my refrigerator on these magnets. These are my absolute favorites. The first one is, is it love or just allergies? The next one is things are fine. All I have to do is win the lottery. This one is great. It's I'm so happy. It's happy hour. And this one I actually gave out as a gift when I was working at a large health insurance company. And I mean, we were just so overworked and so stressed out most of the time. So I gave out these magnets to everybody and it's got this woman and she just looks like insanely happy. And it says medicated and motivated. (laughs) And then I love this one. My mascara ran, I'm counting that as exercise. This one is for my friends with kids. When my children tell me they want me out of their personal space, I remind them they came out of my personal space. (laughs) And then whoever said laughter is the best medicine has clearly never tasted single malt scotch. The last one, which is my favorite of all time, and this is very true of me, I dreamed my whole house was clean, which I wish I had that dream and I wish it would come true. But anyway, I just thought I'd share some of those so we could all laugh together. You know, you've got to take a break. I know that times get tough and I think we get overwrought and we have some some tough days. We have some emotional days. We have some sad days. But if you can find just that little piece of humor, it's, it's something I really observed with my mom was caregiving for my grandmother and I was helping her out. But, you know, she would tell me some things that happened between the two of them. I know one day she has a story where my grandmother had a stroke. So she was helping her, I think, get out of bed to get into the wheelchair. And they both collapsed to the floor. And, you know, that could have been tragic. It could have been very sad and frustrating, but instead they both sat there and laughed. And I think that's the beauty sometimes of caregiving is capturing those moments that you never expected and being able to look back at them later and just kind of put a smile on your face. So with that, we are now going to go into our Me Time Monday wellness hack. And as I mentioned, stick with us to the end because we have a very special wellness hack this week. We are actually going to do a virtual forest bathing experience. So here we go. I'm Sherry Snelling, and welcome to our Me Time Monday Wellness Hack. This episode's Wellness Hack, we focus on the growing wellness trend of forest bathing. It is a natural way to create calm and engage our brains and bodies in a nature environment, making this the perfect wellness hack for National Stress Awareness Month, and also to celebrate Earth Day on April 22nd. And stick with us to the end because we're gonna do a virtual forest bathing exercise. Forest bathing has gained a lot of attention in the last few years, mostly because of the wellness movement of being in and experiencing nature. But forest bathing is not new. Forest bathing was officially launched in 1982 in Japan as a national health program called Shinrin-yoku, which translated means luxuriating in the trees. The physical and mental benefits are so evident that the Japanese government has invested $4 million into funding forest therapy research since 2004. Japan also now has 48 official forest therapy trails all over the country, visited by more than 2 million people a year. What is unique about forest bathing versus other types of calming exercise and meditation is that it is an immersive experience. During physical exercise or meditation, we are concentrating on our movements or our breathing. But in forest bathing, it is all about focusing on your environment with your five senses of sound, sight, smell, touch, and yes, even taste. We know that stress creates physiological reactions in our bodies. One study found that higher prolonged periods of stress increase our cortisol levels, which in turn reduces the intensity of taste for both sweet and sour foods. Altered taste perception can lead to appetite loss and even increased depression as our brains react to the loss of pleasurable taste, which is closely tied to smell. In fact, 15 million people have problems with smell and seven and a half million have problems with taste. And this prevalence increases as we age. This makes forest bathing the enchanted forest for family caregivers. Another health benefit of forest bathing is being in fresh air. In fact, trees are life-giving. They provide vital oxygen and remove harmful gases, such as carbon dioxide, to make the air we breathe healthier. Here's how it works. A tree uses a process called photosynthesis, where the tree leaves in carbon dioxide and water to convert them into chemical compounds that feed the tree. But during this process, the tree also emits a chemical reaction that produces oxygen while also emitting oils that protect it from germs and certain insects. Being in nature and specifically around trees gives us the same benefit. We breathe in more oxygen and healthy air and the phytoncides created help our immune systems and reduce our stress. And of course, during the evolution of human beings, trees offered protection from frightening hunters and shaded us from too much sunlight. So in our ancient brains, trees are a place for comfort and safety. So you could say trees are lifesavers. About 85% of the U.S. population lives in suburban and urban areas and may not have access to traditional rural forests. In gerontology, we call this nature deficit disorder. Studies show people suffering from nature deficit disorder are more anxious and have less resiliency. Most caregivers are at times overwhelmed by all the responsibilities they are managing. Having to focus on work, home life, and the loved one that you are caring for leaves far too little me time. In addition to the physical fatigue, there is also the emotional fatigue. The worry and anxiety, sadness, frustrations, and guilt are all part of the caregiving journey. Getting even five minutes outside, whether it is a nearby park, Walking in your neighborhood, or even stepping into your front or backyard is vital to not just our physical health, but our emotional health. It is a healing, calming wellness hack. The immersive experience allows us to revert back to our ancient brains when we felt comforted and secure in forests and nature. And using the five senses helps reset our focus. People who practice even a few minutes of forest bathing a week are less stressed and are more patient. That is why forest bathing clubs are on the rise with more than two and a half million people a year now forest bathing. And being in or even gazing upon nature is not just for family caregivers, but also for the loved ones for which you care. Scientific studies have shown that hospital patients who had a green view Where they were looking onto trees or plant life instead of staring at walls or hospital machinery required less pain medication and recovered faster beyond the stress relief and healing effects forest bathing can also help with sleep a researcher at nippon medical school in tokyo conducted a study on the health benefits of forest bathing after two hours of forest bathing walks he observed the average sleep time of participants increased by about 15%, which translates into getting 54 minutes more of sleep per night. Participants were less anxious and scored more positively on a generalized anxiety survey. And the quality of sleep was better with more restful hours per night. Our brains crave nature. Whether it is being in a forest or gazing upon a beautiful green space with plants and trees, We help heal the stress in our bodies and boost our emotional health. For the next minute, we bring you a glimpse into forest bathing. As you listen to the sounds of the forest and the soft music, take this moment and close your eyes. Picture yourself in a beautiful forest full of trees, hear the birds chirping, hear the light rainfall on the leaves and the ground. Hear the tiny crackle of twigs as you walk through your enchanted forest. Smell the air, breathe deeply, and feel the calm. enjoyed this me time monday wellness hack each episode of our caregiving club on air podcast will feature a new me time monday wellness hack you can also learn more about the me time monday program and workshop at caregivingclub.com and check out my wellness articles for my upcoming book me time monday the weekly wellness edit for a wonderful life take care and stay well i hope you enjoyed our conversation with kelly conway our humorous wellness tips and fun well home design And especially our Me Time Monday wellness hack on forest bathing. Please listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google podcasts and other listening channels. Check out all the resources and article links on our episode guide page at caregivingclub.com on the podcast tab and email us at podcast at caregivingclub.com. Take care and stay well.